we usually start our episodes by highlighting what we're going to cover, what segments we're going to do each day, but we felt like we needed to start this episode a bit different. Uh, this past week, um, yeah, the Minneapolis police murdered um, African-American George Floyd, and we here at the Blue Bloods felt like we needed to speak out and use our platform to bring awareness and voice our anger and sadness towards this tragic situation. In times like these, it's not just enough to be quietly non-racist, but vocally support movements like Black Lives Matter and other movements um, that kind of bring awareness to situations like this. And we hope to use our platform to also help inspire changes in our society that we need to see immediately. And so due to all everything that's happened and using our platform, we would like to hold a moment of silence before we start this episode for George Floyd and his family. We appreciate you guys joining us for that, but to get to the episode, guys, it is Tuesday, and here we are. We're back a little bit late, but we're here, and today we start the episode by addressing the huge news out of Clemson today about Justin Ross. We then continue our hot seat segment, and we move to the group of five today and look at the AAC, and then we move to ranking current college quarterbacks into our personal quarterback tiers for next season. And we wrap this episode up with your favorite segment, Recruiting Update. And we head out west today to look at Oregon's 2021 recruiting class. We have a full show, guys. So let's kick it off. Just a minute ago, um, you know, this is the second episode where breaking news has changed our topics. And today's news comes out of Clemson. Dabo Sweeney told reporters Monday that wide receiver Justin Ross will be undergoing spinal surgery for a spinal fusion issue that he's been suffering since birth. He is going to miss the entire 2020 college football season. And this problem originally showed up as stinger symptoms for Ross, and it caused him to miss part of spring practice, March practices this this past uh, offseason. And this is a huge loss since Ross was primed to take the number one wide receiver spot after T. Higgins' departure to the NFL this past season. Now, Clemson must look for some of their younger players to step up and pick up the slacks now that Ross is out. So, Brandon, what is your reaction to this news, and how much does this change your predictions slash thoughts about Clemson this next season? Yeah, I mean, it's it's huge news, right? I mean, huge might be an understatement. Uh, Justin Ross was set to be one of the premier wide receivers in college football this upcoming season, right? Uh, you know, I... You can't really stop what's going on there. Um, this is something obviously that he needed. It's you know obviously going to affect him in a very positive light in in the future as uh, as his life moves forward. Um, but I don't know. I can't help but feel like Clemson is just so stacked at almost every position. I understand wide receivers kind of where you know 
at least for this past season, where they they had superstars. Don't get me wrong. T. Higgins is one of the was one of the greatest wide receivers in the draft this past season. But they how deep were they really? You know, um, but I don't. I, you know, it, it still doesn't change my my prediction about Clemson. I still think Clemson wins the ACC. I still think Clemson is fighting for a playoff spot this upcoming season. Um, I don't know. I, you know, you have a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence. You can have you could literally have Zach and and me out there playing wide receiver, and I think you could probably get it done. That's I don't know how good Trevor Lawrence is, but uh, it's it's up there. But I just wanted to start off, you know, this segment by saying that our thoughts go out to Ross and his family, and we want to wish him the best in surgery, his recovery, and hopefully his return to Clemson in college football or even the NFL if he decides to go that route. But Brandon, this is devastating news, right? I mean, Ross was set to explode after being buried behind T. Higgins on the depth chart. I mean, he led the NCAA in receiving yards per reception his freshman year, and he had over 1,000 yards, had over 17 touchdowns the past two years. And this this has to be, just like you said, a huge blow to Clemson. But I am going to take a different approach than you. I think they have – a lot, a lot of replacements for, um, for Ross. So first, I'm looking at Amari Rogers. Um, he's a senior this year. He's been a staple in this Clemson offense. He's kind of been used as a weird kind of like a pocket knife. It's he's very versatile, but he's had over a thousand yards receiving in his career, eight touchdowns over these past years. He's explosive, but he plays a different role. I think. I think he lacks the physical tools that Ross brings, but I still think he brings experience and explosiveness to the offense. And I think EJ Williams, guys, write that name down. He is a true freshman this year, just came out of the same high school Justin Ross came out of, and he's built exactly the same as Justin Ross. Justin Ross was listed on Clips' website as 6'4", 205 as a junior. EJ Williams is 6'4", 190 as a true freshman. So, he has similar ball skills, elite speed, similar size, and was one of the top-ranked wide receivers last recruiting cycle and could explode on the scene much like Ross did as a freshman. And if I had to give a comparison for EJ Williams, it would be Justin Ross. They are very similar. They come out of the same programs. The similarities between these two players are ridiculous. Yeah, no, no doubt there. Um, and I wasn't saying, hey, Clemson's not going to have any wide receivers this upcoming season. I meant they're not going to have a player that is the same. Uh, they're, they're not going to have another um, another T. Higgins or a DeAndre Hopkins or, or a Justin Ross, which all three of those players probably don't deserve to be in the same conversation either. But they're not going to have another superstar. It yeah, is all I'm mean, saying. And, I mean, also don't forget Joseph Ngata. Um, he played in all 13 games last season as a freshman and could really be the replacement for Ross realistically. He was a five-star wide receiver two two classes ago out of California. He put up 250 yards, three touchdowns in his action, and he's a physical wide receiver with some ability. And I think what you see in this Clemson program, I mean, Brandy, you could probably speak on this in a sec, is how far do we see these players develop between their first year in the program to their second? I would, I would say it's one of the more steep jumps in the country in terms of program development. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to say anything other than it's Clemson and they're coached by Dabo Swinney, you know, and I, and, 
it's going to be tough for Clemson not to develop players, you know? It, yeah, it is. I mean, especially with all the new, I guess, player development stuff they built on campus. I mean, it's real tough not to get a little bit better. Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, there, like I said, I don't have a whole lot to say. Just know that it's, it, it is absolutely one of the greatest programs in the country, if not the greatest at, at developing players, developing talent. I agree. I mean, because if you remember, guys, Dabo was not getting five-star recruits when he first got to Clemson. Absolutely. This is a recent development. And, you know, I'll end this segment by saying I think Clemson should still be the favorite for the national championship. And it's because, I th- like Brandon said, Trevor Lawrence can make anyone look good. When you have the best, one of the best coaches in the country, the best, arguably the best quarterback in the country, you have arguably the best running back in the country, and you have defensive, I mean, this this program can suffer a loss like this. If it was a program like Michigan or Miami or Florida State, they couldn't suffer a loss like this, but Clemson can. Clemson has the players to survive. Justin Ross not going to play this year, but this is a huge loss. And the last thing I want to say is, guys, look out for Travis Etienne playing a bigger role in the passing game for Clemson. He already plays a pretty big role, as I think me and Brandon have talked about on the podcast before. But with Justin Ross gone, out the backfield, Travis Etienne can become a real factor. Right, absolutely. He, he for sure can. Uh, absolutely the best passing or receiving back in the country at this point. Um, and he may have been the same last year. Yeah, ask Ohio State about uh, Travis Etienne out the backfield um, on screens, on jump passes for some reason, all kind of stuff. I mean, Travis Etienne was the reason Clemson won that game last no, year. No, don't, no, no, no don't, doubt. Don't mistake that. But, guys, we're going to move on. Um, second segment of the day. It's been a staple here for a little while. It's our hot seat segment. And in case you missed the last multiple, like, how long, you know, like, what, five episodes? Uh, this segment is where we break down which head coaches are on the hot seat going into next season across the conferences. We finished the Power Five conferences, guys. We're going to take it to the group of five today and look at the AAC. So, Brandon, which head coaches in this conference do you feel are on the hot seat right now? Okay, so it's if you've listened to any of these in the past from us, you know that we don't or at least we usually don't pick, I was going to say we don't like to pick, but we usually don't pick first-year head coaches. But there was one head coach that just stu- that stood out amongst the group here to me. Um, it, it, had to be, it had to be Dana Holgerson uh, at Houston. He took this team in Houston that had, you know, obviously a, a few stars on it, asked them to sit out, I mean, the news came out this past season that he asked them uh, these players to sit out so they could redshirt um, after like what three games, Zach? Yeah, and it was. It was after the. It was after four. It was their. They started out one and three, and it was after the loss of Tulane is when yeah. they decided to sit out. Yeah, it's it's like the uh, it's like the first college team in the history of NCAA football to uh, to try to tank. I don't really understand. I mean, I get what he was trying to do. He was trying to preserve his players so he had more talent uh, for more seasons to come. Ended up backfiring on him. Uh, his quarterback ended up transferring to Miami. So, I don't know. He ended up going 4-8 and eight with with Houston. Um, not only that, but, I mean, 
obviously it's his first year. Before that, I mean, obviously he he's he he was the head coach at West Virginia for what like seven years, something like that. Yeah, yeah, he did pretty good, but it's also because he had Will Greer and Davis Stills, and just he had a lot of talent. Right. I mean, so when you, I mean, at least I thought of him as a very good coach when he was with West Virginia. Um, turns out, I think the talent made him. I, I don't think he's as good of a head coach as, as maybe I thought he was. Um, I think his, I mean, his, his regular season record is pretty good most of these seasons. I mean, he did have a four and eight season at West Virginia, um, but his bowl record, I mean, he he's, he's like, he's like two and five in bowl games. And he won the Orange Bowl, obviously, in 2011. I mean, that's that was a big season for West Virginia. But other than that, I mean, he, he's lost a Camping World Bowl, a Heart of Dallas Bowl, a Russell Athletic Bowl, a Liberty Bowl, and a Pinstripe Bowl. I don't know. I, I don't. I think that he's going to start being seen, or I think people are going to start seeing right through him, starting with uh, the University of Houston's uh, athletic director if he doesn't pick things up. I don't think – I think if he has another 4-8 and eight season, he's out of there. I, I honestly think that if he doesn't make a bowl game this season, he he's he's in serious trouble. Yeah, he's my pick. Uh, he's my pick because I just wanted to say first, I mean, this conference has some new coaches like Jeff Scott at South, at South Florida, Ryan Silverfield at Memphis. But then there's a lot of coaches that I don't think, no matter what happens, are going to go anywhere. I mean, Luke Fickle at Cincinnati is stuck. I mean, he could go 0-12. He's probably not leaving. Josh Hupel at UCF, not going anywhere. Sonny Dykes at SMU, not going anywhere. Willie Fritz at Tulane, also probably not going anywhere. But – my first pick is Daniel Holgerson, and I, I've ripped Holgerson on this podcast before. It's been a while, and my feelings have not changed. They've only gotten stronger, guys. And like Brandon said, 4-8 and eight this year is outrageous for Houston. Brandon, it was the worst season for a first-year head coach at, in, at, at Houston in over 20 years. Not great. And like Brandon said, he allowed, he asked and allowed – multiple starting players, including your starting quarterback, to sit out red shirt to save for eligibility so they can make a run for the next year. And they transfer. You just got <laughs> finessed. Hilarious. You just yeah. got finessed out of that. And Brandon, my number one quality for a head coach is I want them to be a winner. I want them to have that drive to win. I want them to win at all costs. And Dana Holgerson literally set his team up to lose and literally lost his team, lost their effort, their concentration, everything in less than a year, in less yeah. than four games. No, it's 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 not great. We know that. Any coach that supports players quitting on their teammates is not head coach material, in my opinion. And I will not. I will say that. And next season, the reason I'm very worried is. Their toughest games are on the road next year. They have to go yeah. at Washington State early. That's a long trip, and that's a hard place to play up in Washington. It's probably going to be at like nine fifteen at night on uh, Central Time. So get ready, and then you have to play at Memphis, at BYU. Ask USC how it is to travel to BYU. Then you got to go play at Navy, at Cincinnati, and at SMU. Yeah, you're not making out of their life. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm gonna go ahead and call it. He's out. Yeah, that's six games that they. I have them. I have all those games as losses. Yeah, Washington State lost Mike Leach. I still think they're better than Houston. And right. the other team, the other teams are really, really good. Especially Cincinnati and Memphis. Don't sleep on those teams. And 
Brandon, I left off three games specifically because I still see these as losses, but they're at home. They still have to play Tulane. They still have to play UCF and USF. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, USF might not be an automatic loss. They're not very well, good. They have Jeff Scott coming from Clemson, bringing that system. You never. I'm, I, I want to see. I want to see what. I don't want to see what Jeff Scott does, but I have high hopes for that team. But I think they lose to UCF. I, I can see them oh, losing absolutely. to Tulane. Tulane's on the upswing, and yeah, you know if they he, if he lose that's and that would be a four and eight season again. Right. Right. No, you're absolutely the, right. Bowl eligibility is probably out of the question, but can and I think that's the end of Dana Holgerson, in my opinion. And for my second choice, Brad, I really feel like there was only one other choice here. I'm sure we have the same person as our number two coach, and that's Philip Montgomery out of, in Tulsa. Yeah, and he I, was my other. He was my only other choice, only because I think UConn got kicked out of the AAC. So yeah, I they're independent now. I couldn't yep. pick Randy Edsel, or I would have. Yeah, I would have too. I that, that was gonna pick him. And I was like, oh wait, they're independent now. But yeah, guys, Philip Montgomery came to Tulsa after be, after a stint as Baylor's offensive coordinator, one of the hottest names on the market. But he hasn't put it together. He had one season where he went ten, ten and three in 2016. But since that year, Tulsa went nine and 27 the next three seasons. Uh, that's to me unacceptable for a program that for me, Brandon, I think Tulsa. It's, they're not a powerhouse, but multiple coaches have had success at this program, and multiple losing seasons is not acceptable. And this program should be competing for AAC titles. Well, I mean, Tulsa shouldn't be this bad of a team, right? I mean, I know that's what you just said, but uh, over the past three seasons, a combined record uh, of of nine and twenty seven is not yep. acceptable, no matter where you're at. And that includes a what two and ten year two years ago, yeah. He had a, it was it was three years ago. It was in twenty seventeen. Yeah, he went, he yeah. went two and ten, but he went two and ten, three and nine, four and eight. I guess he's progressively getting a little bit better, um, but that is just one game. I mean, two, I mean, two wins to four wins isn't anything to write home about, and that's two wins immediately following a ten win season. I don't know how he didn't get fired that year. That's a big drop off. That, that's a huge like wow. What happened there? I that's mean, what I'm saying that's outrageous. And so uh, the trend for me on these in these segments is is teams that have a tough schedule. I can't see them making it through. I took a different approach here. This schedule is so easy outside of a few key games that if Montgomery doesn't win at least five, he should be out immediately. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Their toughest games are at Oklahoma State. They'll, they'll, they probably aren't projected to win that game. They're not going to win that game. Then they have to travel to UCF. That was going to be a key. I still think they lose that one. Then they play Cincinnati at home, another tough game. They have to beat South Florida on the road. That's a key game. South Florida's got a new head coach, lost a lot of talent. Tulsa has to win that game on the road. And then they have to pull it out at Navy or against Tulane. They, one of those games has to win because I think they lose to SMU. I think Brandon also agrees they're probably going to lose to SMU. But if they can beat, you know, USF, Navy, or Tulane, th- that gives them a little bit of leeway. But I still think they lose all all those games. I, I do. I don't see a lot of hope here in Tulsa. I mean, it just seems like he if he goes 5-7, and seven, does he keep his job because he keeps improving? I really hope not. 
I hope not either. You should, there's no reason that, and, and like, I mean, like we've said several times now, it's not like Tulsa should just be a consistently terrible team. That shouldn't be a laughing stock in college football. Um, but they are now, you know, it, it's, it's kind of, it's almost disgraceful to, you know, to be walking on that field and, and to have your team seen as a laughing stock in college football now because you've taken them from, I don't want to say glory at 10 and three, but when, I mean, that's really good for Tulsa to just the bottom of the barrel at two and 10, three and nine, four and eight. You know, you're not, you're, I mean, you are technically improving, but you're not improving fast enough, I don't guess. Yeah, you're completely right here. And I mean, being in the state of Texas, and having access to that deep, you know, pool of recruits, man, you figured they get some players that could play above a losing record. I mean, even average players in Texas are better than some states' best players. That's what I'm saying. Well, they're in Oklahoma, but they they do. Well, that's true. Well, I mean, like, but they, they do get most of their players from Texas. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma State, all the, their whole roster is built by Texas kids. That's fair enough. That's fair enough, Zach. I'm not yeah. going to argue with you there. <laughs> but, guys, we're going to move on to our third segment of the day. Um, and as the college football season creeps closer and closer, why not start analyzing this next season? ESPN recently released their quarterback tiers earlier this week, so it inspired Brandon and myself to do this. And, but we changed what the tiers were a bit and limited our tiers to only five since, I'm a, since I personally assume you guys do not want to have a four-and-a-half-hour episode of us talking about eight different tiers of quarterbacks and every single quarterback that fits in that tier. We don't have the time to break down every single of the 130 quarterbacks in college football, so we picked two to five quarterbacks in each tier, which should give you guys a good idea where, if there's a quarterback we don't mention, where they could fall in you know these tiers. Um, so, Brandon, the first tier is future college football legends. I'm assuming this is probably the smallest tier. So who is in your tier number one of college football quarterbacks? Obviously, first and foremost, I have Trevor Lawrence in this tier. Uh, how could you not is is all I have to say to that. I mean, I, I feel like I don't need to back this one up that much, right? No, I, I don't think you do. And, you know, I have Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields here. I, I know uh, Fields could be argued, but like Brandon said, I don't have to explain this. I won't since this segment is packed. The other tiers are going to take a minute to kind of justify because this is I feel like tier ones where we agree I mean Lawrence and Fields are arguably the two best quarterbacks in the country by a wide margin and once they hang up their respective cleats I think they both will go down as two of the best to ever play quarterback in college football absolutely and I had Fields in my top in my top tier by the way in case uh, I know I didn't mention that but yeah it's pretty much a given I must say yeah Lawrence and Fields are going to be in anyone's top tier Guys, tier two is the elite tier. Now, th this could get tricky. We have five tiers. So if your quarterback doesn't fall here, don't freak out. There's some other good tiers in here. But this is the elite tier. So, Brandon, how many quarterbacks do you have in this tier, and who are they and why? I, let's, let's, go with, uh, let's go with three quarter – no, two quarterbacks in this tier for me. Um and my first quarterback is going to be Derek King. I truly think Derek King was made for this Miami offense, and I think he's going to do great things there. 
Do I think Miami is like a, like a playoff contender this upcoming season? Absolutely not. They still play in the same conferences. Clemson does. But De'Eric King, I mean, I was high on him when he was at Houston. And I'm going to be high on him near here now, especially though he's not playing for Dana Holgerson. So um, I've got him in this tier. Uh, I'd like to hear who else, who who you have in this tier, Zach. I'd like to hear your uh, rebuttal for this because I know you don't have him. No, I don't have. I didn't list Derek King at all, just because the the sole reason I did. If I had to put him in a tier, I put him in tier five, or wow. or no, I went here to tier five. Okay, I put him in tier three, the potential elite tier. I need to see more of him. I need to see him play against a more elite talent. I need to see him in a larger sample size. If that. If that's fair enough, I think he. I think you're right about the Miami thing, but I need to see more. And if there was okay. an unproven tier, I'd put him there. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so I went the other way. I have four quarterbacks in this elite tier. I know Brandon's going to have a stroke at all four of them, but just hear me out, okay? I think this tier was extremely hard, and I. But I do think there's four quarterbacks who have done enough to earn their title, Brandon. My first quarterback in tier two is Tanner Morgan from Minnesota. Okay. Okay. Not a stroke. Not a stroke. Okay. That was decent. So, guys, Tanner, in case you guys are having a stroke, because y'all heard Minnesota attached to that guy's name, he was one of four quarterbacks last season who attempted 100 or more passes against top 50 defenses and averaged more than nine yards per completion. The other three all were in New York for the Heisman ceremony. Right, Joe no, Joe yeah. Burrow, Jalen Hurts, and Justin Fields, and Tanner Morgan is fifteen and four in his career, and easily could move up, you know, to the top tier if he has just an outstanding season again. This guy has played elite football, and he's carried in a normally average Big Ten program to elite status. Minnesota was a top ten team this year before they lost to Iowa, which you can't fault them. It was with the Children's Hospital. But Minnesota was elite last year, beat Auburn in the Outback Bowl. Tanner Morgan belongs in this tier, whether you think it or not. Don't let the bald head fool you. Tanner Morgan is an elite quarterback in college football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's, uh, he wasn't in this tier for me, but it's only mostly because I just forgot him. I would like to add him to this tier, though. Yeah, and like I, like guys, like we said, we couldn't name all 130 quarterbacks, so there's probably more people in this tier than you know we might list. But we just wanted to highlight the main few people. And for my second quarterback in this tier, this is where Brandon starts having his heart attacks. I have Kyle Trask for Florida. I don't know. About I think that. I think he's. I think he's overlooked and underrated due to his circumstances where he did he never started since freshman year of high school. He had to step in for an injured Felipe Franks, but he it has the experience now to be a real factor next season. He led a Florida team to another New Year's Six Bowl. He competed all the way until the fourth quarter in Death Valley against LSU in his fourth ever start. And I think having year two under Dan Mullen as the sole starting quarterback is going to give Trask confidence. And I think Trask is going to be a, a top probably five quarterback this next season. Yeah. I, I'm going to say no, just out of principle. Out of principle, but, just because it's Florida. Well, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So listen, my last two quarterbacks are kind of tied together. So Brandon, who is your second quarterback in this tier? My second quarterback in this tier, uh, and I, I, I lost. I probably should have written this down. Um, let's see. 
Let's see who I'm going to pick with this one. Um, I'll go with Sam Howell. I'll say Sam Howell. He's one of my last two. I got you. There you go. Okay. Hit, hit us with it, Zach. I, yeah. I, don't wanna, I, don't, I didn't want to argue with you today, so I had to yeah. pick him before my, you could. My last two quarterbacks in the elite tier are two second-year quarterbacks. The first being Sam Howell at North Carolina, and the second being Keaton Slovis Keaton at USC. Keaton Slovis, let's go. Let's go, I have, Keaton. I have both of these players in this tier because they were two of the best quarterbacks in the country last season, despite being freshmen. According to ESPN, Howell was the only quarterback in the entire country, guys, to throw multiple touchdown passes in every single game they played. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And – ESPN also noted that Slovis was one of only two quarterbacks to complete 70 over 70% of their passes average eight yards per completion. And only it had above a 25 to five touchdown INT ratio. The only other player that fell into that category was Joe Burrow, who won the Heisman. These two freshmen are elite quarterbacks and they're going to take the biggest step in terms of production next season. And that is why I'm so high on North Carolina. And I think if if USC could get Keaton some help, he also could take that large jump. I think both of these quarterbacks are elite quarterbacks, even though they're so young. And they're going to be the next two quarterbacks to jump up into that tier one, in my opinion. Yes, sir. Look, I... I didn't have Keaton here, and I don't want I don't want the fans to attack me for this. Keaton's coming. Don't don't you worry. But he he I didn't think he made the cut for uh, for elite. Yeah, and so tier three guys. This one is potential elites. These are players that are unproven but could be elite after a good year. Players that have elite skill sets or elite potential but haven't put it all together yet. So I have. Let's let's see. I have four quarterbacks in this tier. I usually try to stick with four. Um, Brandon, I will start. I'll kick this one off since I made you start off the last one. I have Kellen Mond for Texas A and M in this tier as my okay. first quarterback in this tier, mm-hmm. and I think he could arguably be the best quarterback in the SEC going into this year if things go right. But he's a quarterback that Brandon. I mean, we've talked about it. This kid has so much potential. He could be the best quarterback in the SEC multiple multiple years in his career but he just hasn't put it all together this upcoming season he has the most weapons that he's had his entire career for A&M and I think he could finally live up to that potential so that's why I stick him in in tier three I don't know man I think that's a little bit generous for uh, did you watch him play this past season yeah for sure but I, I took all three years into account not just last year that's fair enough um I don't know. I, I couldn't. I couldn't have him there. With my first pick, though, I, I couldn't leave Keaton off this long. I've got Keaton here. Zach's already explained it. Everyone knows how much I love Keaton Slovis. He. I don't want to say that he's unproven. Uh, when Zach started the segment or started this part of the segment, he said this is a tier for maybe players that are unproven. I don't think that you can be potentially elite without being a little bit proven. So I've got Keaton Slovis here. Uh, I want to see how he does without Michael Pittman Jr. this upcoming season. I guess is really what that's, that's a that's, that, that's a good argument. I mean, I, they're thin at wide receiver, in my opinion, and running back. Right. They are thin. So if he puts it on this year, man, I I think you gotta you gotta pump him up. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I'm gonna go ahead and move on. I only have two in this tier. I stuck to two in each one of my tiers. Um, 
Zach said two to five, and I'm a slacker, so I just went with two in each tier. Um, so my next, uh, my my next one of this tier, my final one of this tier is going to be Jamie Newman. I I think he's the definition of potentially elite. Um, I think he's fooled a lot of people already into thinking that he's elite. He's not. Uh, he has a lot to prove, and but I mean, he's in the right system for that, right? I mean, wouldn't you say? Yeah, uh, a thousand percent. I would give him. I would. I didn't list him, but this is the tier I would stick Jamie Newman in. Absolutely. So I've got I've got Jamie Newman in Todd Munkin's offense. I think that it's. I don't know. I'm sorry, Matt. Uh, yeah, I guess he's he's offensive coordinator. Matt Luke's offensive line's offensive line. Coach. Yeah, yeah. In, in both of their <laughs> offense, I think he can succeed. I, I like that pick. Uh, you're gonna free. This is gonna be the most controversial pick I think the entire episode, or at least a segment. Don't I have next. I have Jaden Daniels out of Arizona okay. State here. That's a weird pick. Uh, I'll say that. Um, I think he's probably a name, the only name on this list that most average college football fans probably don't know. But listen, you will very, very soon. If it wasn't for Keaton Slovis, Daniels would be my pick for the best Pac-12 quarterback in the country. Um, he is a true freshman, guys. He had, he threw for almost 3,000 yards. He was in the 2,900 range. He threw for 17 touchdowns and only two interceptions as a freshman. How often do you see a freshman have such great decision-making? And this is with an offense where he wasn't asked to do everything. And once he could take more on in Herm, in Herm Edwards' system – Daniel's Scott Daniel ceiling is the, literally the like it's impossible not to put this kid here because he has so much potential he's dynamic on the with his feet he's he moves perfectly around in the pocket he can throw deep he can beat you down in the middle he can beat you short I mean this kid to me it have, probably has the most potential out of any quarterback in this tier okay that's I mean like you said it, it's, it is going to be the most controversial pick here I I don't know if it's controversial. I, it's it's definitely bold though. It's a bold pick, and my last two picks probably aren't very bold. I would assume Brandon kind of agrees with these. My third pick for this tier is Brock Purdy out of Iowa State. Yeah, uh, I think he's overlooked due to his school. The perception of Iowa State not great, uh, <laughs> not great at all. But he was one of only two quarterbacks last season that threw for over 3,900 yards, 35 touchdowns, and had less than 10 interceptions. The only other quarterback to do that was one Joe Burrow, Mr. Hosman himself. I think for Purdy to make that jump to elite, he needs to lead Iowa State in the Big 12 contention, if not make the championship game. Iowa State's always been on the fringe there. They almost pulled up, pulled up the upset of Oklahoma last season, but Brock Purdy is is a potentially elite quarterback, and he is definitely one of the better quarterbacks in the country. Yeah, yeah, I, I can give you that. He's one of the better quarterbacks in the country for sure. Yeah, and the last one, Brandon probably also doesn't like this guy, but I can see him maybe putting in this category, and that's Ian Book for Notre Dame. I'm surprised you didn't put him higher. Uh, no, I mean, listen, he gets overlooked due to the perception of Notre Dame, I think, because people hate Notre Dame for some reason, and they – they don't like it, but if I told you you could have a quarterback for three years going into a senior year that had over 60% completion percentage all, th all three years and just came off a 3,000-yard season and never threw more than seven interceptions in a season, you would take it, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so, yeah. 
it's Ian Book. And he's gotten this team far. I mean, Notre Dame's always in contention, guys. And I think as a senior, you're going to see Book take that next step. The only reason I don't put him in elite is because he can't seem to win the big game. He's better than a game manager, but he's not elite. And that's I feel like that's what this tier is. Yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. I, like I said, I'm absolutely shocked that you hadn't that you didn't have him in your second tier. I didn't think you'd have him in your top tier, but I thought you might have him in your second tier. No, I put him third. I put him third. I, I was trying to be realistic with this. And so, guys, tier four for us, we call this the game manager tier. This is a quarterback that have really good stats. They're not bad quarterbacks, but they're not one of the best. But they just they don't. Their job is to not steer their good team into the fence to make them lose. They just have to play decent, and their team most likely wins. Or a quarterback who just can't seem to get over the hump. So, Brandon, I have another – I have five quarterbacks in this tier, but good I'm not going to break them all down because they all have one thing in common. So I'll let you start with this one. Then we'll end it off with my five quarterbacks. All right. This tier, I think this is the definition of this tier – Horns down, Sam Ellinger's the first pick he, off the board he's here. He's also on my list, so I will just yeah. piggyback off of you with that one. He's the definition of a game manager, right? I mean, yep. it's just he's, he not, he's not elite. You know, he's he's good. He's definitely not elite. I think his job at Texas is legitimately just don't turn the ball over and let 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 uh, let what they call DBU back on the field. I, I don't know. It's... <laughs> I yeah, mean, it's it's not good, but it's not it's not as bad as it could be, I guess. Yeah, I have Ellinger on here like Brandon does because all these quarterbacks have great stats. Ellinger puts up stats, but they just don't don't make mistakes and your team most likely wins. And for me, all these all five of the quarterbacks I pick do not win the game that they should. They don't win the big games. And Ellinger can't get over that Oklahoma hump. He he just can't. He they kept him from winning the Big Twelve multiple years. Ellinger's held back by elite big games. Yeah, absolutely. And he can't he can't win the big one. Yeah, I feel like that's the problem with a lot of a lot of quarterbacks that are going to be in this tier. Um, and it's been the problem with some of the quarterbacks that we've already mentioned already. Yep. Oh man. Uh Brandon, I know you have him on your list. Can I just give you my first one? I, I know right. you have to have him. Sean Clifford for Penn State. You knew it, Zach. Um no, he's not on my list. He's, he's but, not. I, I don't. But, I don't think he's this good. <laughs> you don't think really he's even don't. like game manager good? No, I don't. He's not on any of my tiers. He's not in any of them. Oh God, that's tough. That's real tough. Really tough. Go I, ahead. I, I gave Clifford this one. He puts up decent stats, but he can't get over Ohio State or even Minnesota. Minnesota beats him. There's always a team he runs into that has elite talent that. Clifford can't get carry a really, really good Penn State team over the top. And I'm really high on Penn State this next year, but I think Sean Clifford's the reason that they don't win the Big Ten. Yeah, I I think there's a couple reasons, but I think he's probably the biggest reason. Um you I I don't know. He's he's a bad quarterback. That's I mean shame on you for thinking he would be on my on my tier list. <laughs> Now you did me downright dirty, dude. Oh, you can't man. do that. All right, man. So who you got? Who do you have next? Uh, you're you're gonna hate me. I I have Brock Purdy on this on, on in this tier. 
That's a gay um, manager? I really do. Oh, man, that's tough. Sorry, I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I think he's better than Sam Ellinger. But I don't think that he belonged in any of these other tiers, and I think he belonged on this list for sure. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. He goes to Iowa State. That's that's what I'll say. And, and I think that's exactly your argument for why you had him in your third tier, in your, in your almost elite tier or potentially elite tier. Yeah, I did. Because – because he is overlooked. I think he's overlooked, and I think I'm overlooking him as I speak. But yeah, he's he's my game manager. He's my game manager tier. Um, I don't know. I, not it's not like I think that Iowa State's elite anywhere else. I just I think they're pretty good, and I don't think he's bad. But I, I don't think he's a great quarterback by any means. I'll give you that. It's fine. It's fine. I think he's a little bit better than a game manager. But my next pick, Charlie Brewer from Baylor. I okay. think yeah. I, 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 that's a game manager. Can't get over Oklahoma again. Same thing as Sam Ellinger. He can't get Baylor to the promised land. He puts up big stats. I feel like every Baylor quarterback could fall into this category. Uh, he just isn't there. And my last, well, second to last pick, I have Jack Cohen from Wisconsin on oh, this list as well. Okay. Yeah, that's that's okay. Uh, he puts up great stats. He just hand it off to a running back like Jonathan Taylor, stay behind that big offensive line, and do not turn the ball over. And you no, saw what I mean, happened. They jumped on top of Ohio State, but as soon as Jack Cohen had to do something, Ohio State came storming back. Yeah, no, I mean, you're not wrong. It, it's I, The long O was because I just realized that he is a game manager, and that kind of hurt a little bit because I'm very high on Wisconsin all the time. So, yeah, I mean, like I say, let's start Graham Mertz. He's not a game manager. He's a playmaker. Uh, let's make it happen. And finally, last pick. I, I thought about putting this guy on the list, but I feel like I had to include him. His name is even like game manager. It's like uh, nothing special. David Mills for Stanford. Who? I feel like Stanford has just a long line of game manager quarterbacks outside of Andrew Luck. He's not special. He can win some close games, but can't get Stanford into elite contention. They can't win the big games. We saw Stanford last year struggle. David Mills is my final pick here just to put a wrap on what this here really encompasses. You heard Brandon's reaction. Who exactly David Mills from Stanford falls into this tier? Yeah, no, I, I can't. I can't disagree with you. Um, um, as much uh, as I'd love to. I love yeah. disagreeing with you. I just can't do it here. Uh, so, guys, that wraps up our tier four last year. Oh, man, this is up-and-comers. This tier is for quarterbacks that are young, who had bright spots but are mostly unproven, or true freshmen coming in that are unproven but have the potential, and we need to see more before moving them up. I have a long list of players that could fall here. I didn't break each one of them down, but I did break a few of them down. But, Brandon, I'll let you start this segment or or this tier off. Yeah, and I had one that really popped in my mind. He's not really a young guy, but he is a transfer quarterback, and he's starting somewhere that has a brand-new head coach. Uh, I think K.J. Costello is a good fit in this tier. I think that he and Mike Leach's system, they're both going to be both their first years at Mississippi State. Um, I, I really, really think that he can shine there. Does that mean? Does that make? I, I mean, like that pick. To you? Yeah, I know. I like yeah. that pick. Uh, I don't think that's a bad pick at all. There. I mean, I, that's. I like that. I didn't have him on mine, but I like that pick. Um, 
My first two quarterbacks that I'm going to list are kind of tied together because I have the same thoughts about them. I have John Rice Plumley for Ole Miss and Bo okay. Nix at Auburn. Ah, I you think, just had to put him in there. Bro, where else would you put Bo Nix? I mean, up and comer, you had a true freshman you quarterback that went nine and three. You don't have to put him anywhere. I don't know if he went nine and three. I think I think the the great defense and and good skill players went nine and three. I think Bo Nix was along for the oh ride. Oh my gosh. Okay. Anyway, Nix and Plumley went through a br- brutal SEC schedule. They both showed bright spots. Ask LSU's defense about Plumley. They they will they will remember him. And but they both gave me hope that they could be future stars, but I need to see more. I need to see more consistency. I need to see Nick show up against Florida in the swamp. I need to see Plumley do more through the air. I think both these guys have potential, but I do need to see a bigger sample size from both of these quarterbacks. But they both are future SEC stars. Yeah, no, I, I really, really like the John Rice Plumley pick. And Bo Nix isn't as bad as I'm leading on. Um, he, he's going to be – he's probably going to be, as much as I hate to say it, he's probably going to be a really good quarterback in SEC over the next few seasons. Um, so my second pick on this list, Zach, um, and I just I just, I just, just made fun of you, but I've got Miles Brennan. I, I'd love to see what he can do at LSU. People have been waiting for him to play, at least in Baton Rouge. I've been waiting for him to play um, for – I mean, what, going on three seasons now? And he's finally getting his shot. Uh, you know, do, is he going to be Joe Burrow all over again? I've said no continuously. Uh, I don't really think anyone's expecting that. But I think that he has a shot to be a very good quarterback. You know, Joe Brady's not there anymore. But I think his system continues to live on at LSU. I, I mean, it's been learned. I don't think it just disappears now that he's gone. Um and I think he has a real shot to to be a a a, a pretty good quarterback in this see this upcoming season. I don't mind that pick. I, I have him on my list too. I think he my other two quarterbacks were tied to him, and they're quarterbacks that sat behind NFL quarterbacks and are unproven. And due to limited time, their limited play time and high school tape, seem to have large upsides that can move up to tier two or three. And I don't think Brennan's a bad pick. My other two picks are Spencer Rattler for Oklahoma and Tyler Shaw from Oregon. I think okay. both, like, Rattler was stuck behind Hurts. Shaw was stuck behind Justin Herbert. But based on their high school film and what we know about these quarterbacks, they could be tier two or three quarterbacks after next season. And I think both of them just need more time at just showing off their skills. And I think both of these quarterbacks are going to be elite players very soon. Yeah, I, I could I could honestly very well see that. Uh, I know you've been talking about Oregon's quarterback for weeks now. You're very high on this kid. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, could, I could definitely see that. I think he has a lot of potential. And, uh, they, like you said, they've been sitting behind, you know, these, these up-and-coming NFL quarterbacks now. Uh, and I think they've learned a lot from them. So I think, that's a, I think those are two very safe picks. Yep, and speaking of Oregon, guys, we're going to move on to our last segment. It's your favorite Blue Blood segment is back after a one-episode break. And, of course, it's the exclusive recruiting update from the Blue Bloods. Check out our most recent episodes to catch other updates from all around the country. Today, we head out west to Eugene, Oregon, and we analyze the defending Rose Bowl champions in their 2021 recruiting class. And, of course, talking about the Oregon Ducks. 
After two straight number one Pac-12 recruiting classes, Mario Cristobal is building the next great Pac-12 team, and they already have another top 10 class getting put together. This class is loaded already eight top 400 recruits, and the Ducks are still favored, according to 247, for multiple multiple players that are elite, uncommitted talent. Brandon, what are your what's your take on this class, and what and do you think Oregon can create a Pac-12 dynasty similar to USC in the mid two thousands? Um, I think they're I think they're really close to it. Uh, you know, they they right now they're ranked what tenth in the country. Um, as far as yeah. recruiting goes for twenty twenty one, so they're, they're tenth. Um, I mean, but that includes like I, th- I think it's I think it's seven four star recruits. Um, and then one of the best defensive backs coming out of junior college this coming season who doesn't get stars. He's but a if he stud. Did get stars, He's a I'm stud. I'm telling you, Jadarius Perkins, he is insane. Go watch his tape if you haven't seen it. This guy, tr- trust me on this one. There's a reason he's going all the way from the Gulf Coast in Mississippi to Oregon to play college football. Um, anyway, uh, Oregon's another one of those teams. You know, they, they, they have a national brand. Um, they're able to recruit across the country because they're Oregon. You know, they, they have they have that Nike money, and so they can do whatever they want, really. Uh, you know, their, their top recruit is out of Arizona. I, I, they do, I will say this, they do like to recruit the West Coast, and West Coast kids love going to Oregon. Um, but, I mean, they have recruits all across the country. Right now, a majority of the recruits are from Arizona. They have four in Arizona, two in California, and then one in every other state that they've recruited. Um but their their top their number one overall uh, recruit right now is number eighty five in the country, which is something we haven't really seen a lot of in the uh, in the other teams we've broken down. Um, eighty five is a little bit low to be your top player, especially with the teams we've covered to this point. Is I mean, does that hold true, Zach? Yeah, it's a little low, but or the, a lot of these five star players haven't committed. And you got you guys got to remember, we've been covering the top top recruiting classes in the country. The lowest one we've done was Alabama, and that that segment was all about how they had a crappy start to the recruiting cycle. So as we build down, like as we go down the list in this segment, we're going to get to some programs that haven't landed that elite recruit. But I did want to mention, I mean, last season was one of Oregon's best classes ever. They had Justin Flo, Dante Manning, and Noah Sewall were all defensive five star players. And so I think if you just give Kristen Ball a few more months, we can see some more of that five-star West Coast talent really end up in Eugene, Oregon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, I mean, you got to remember, Ben, he's a saving assistant too. They can recruit. That's fair. That's fair enough, yeah. No, and, and, and like you said, I mean, they do, they do have a lot of players still on their target. They're still, like, in the crosshairs, right? You know, there's a few recruits that are, I mean – Oregon's basically their top pick at this point, and that includes two five stars. Uh, and in goodness, I wish I could pronounce their last names. Uh, I don't want to butcher them. That, that's I'm not saying anything. Don't, don't cancel me is what I'm getting at. Um, I don't want to butcher these names. It's JT uh, Tuomalo and Emeka Egbuka, um, both out of Washington. We've got a defensive end, a wide receiver, five-star players. Uh, and, and we're talking about the second best player in the country and the eighth best player in the country, both out of Washington. Um, that I mean, their top choice right now is Oregon. So I understand. I I just said 
hey, uh, <laughs> Oregon only has the top, it only has the number 85 recruit in the country. That doesn't really matter, though, because they're going to get more recruits. Now, it's, they're Oregon. They're going to get more recruits, that even if they hold out until National Signing Day to make their uh, decision. Yeah, I mean, and like I said, you know, the last year they really built up that defense side of the ball. But the key is that their top recruits this year are offensive players. Their top recruit is Bram Walden, the number one player out of Arizona, an offensive lineman. He's listed as an offensive tackle. I think he moves to guard. We don't see a lot of tackles 6'3", six, 6'4", six, anymore. They usually move inside. We like to see, you know, like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, at tackle. He projects as an NFL, a mid-round NFL pick and has the potential to be an elite offensive lineman. And this kid, to me, is, is, should, is a mauler and has ability to be one of the toughest offensive lineman recruits in the country. And I think he's a perfect replacement for Panay Suell, who is going to leave in the draft. And Oregon returns one of the most experienced offensive lines into this season, which means that a mass exodus of offensive line talent is going to leave Oregon this next offseason. And Bram Walden has the potential to start immediately for the Ducks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's no question about it. Yeah, and Todd Thompson, guys. I like this kid a lot. He's a top 100 recruit, seventh-ranked pro-style quarterback, and it's the perfect quarterback for this Oregon system. I think he's, as a junior, he's already 6'4", 205, and I think he's going to grow even more into his large frame and could be a perfect build for a future NFL quarterback. And he has the perfect combination of finesse and power in his throwing ability. If you watch his film, he it makes him a threat to beat you at all levels of the field. So it puts pressure on every part of your defense. And his one thing that I would like to see improve is his speed. He only runs about a four nine five flat. He is a true pocket quarterback, but you would like to see a quarterback have a little bit more mobility nowadays. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um but I mean, what'd you say, four seven? No, four nine. Four nine. Four nine. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Four nine's a little slow. Um, but I mean, he's like also, you say, he's, he's, he's also a junior lanky. in high school. Yeah. yeah. A, I mean, he, he's a junior in high school. He's got a, he's got a full year to improve that speed, and then another off season, you know, to to improve that before he even get puts a puts an Oregon helmet on. So. Uh, yeah, the, the the twelve different Oregon helmets he'll wear in his first <laughs> in yeah, his first yeah. season. Um, but I mean, so we always like to pick an underrated recruit from each class. Um, I'll, I always put it on Brandon first. So I feel bad. So I'll take this one first. I think oh, the most. Don't. I know up? what you're gonna do. This is ridiculous. What what what's up? What, what do you think I'm gonna do? No no no. Go ahead, Zach. I'm just gonna complain about it. My underrated, potentially elite recruit is Jonah Miller. Okay, you didn't do it. Good. No, Good for you. I didn't. He's two, he's a top 300 recruit. He's top 25 offensive tackle. As a junior, guys, I, I'm just scared. I'm scared of this kid already, and he's and he is not even near me. He is 6'8", 285 as a junior. Yeah, I mean. That, at 17, guys, he is 6'8", 285. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, he's a giant. We get it. He's he's like uh, Kai Becton. He's huge. Yeah, and and he can. Eat, I think he's going to add more muscle mass. I would like to see. I mean, a, a six eight three hundred pound left tackle is seen all over the country now, and I think it makes him a potential first year starter at Oregon. 
He played guard in high school, but I don't think he's going to play anything but offensive tackle um, at Oregon. But playing guard his junior year in high school actually makes him a more, I guess, valued prospect because he can slot him inside in case of an injury or something like that. He has the size to, and he has the long arms and size to be an elite, elite tackle to me. My biggest question mark is, Brandon, how many times do we see these kids have the physical tools and the potential to be an amazing player, and they just don't put it all together? I mean, we see it. We see it every single year. We see it all the time. You know, it's not just hey, we see it this once a year. It, it happens yeah. a lot, uh, all the time. But and I just want to know: can this guy tap into the potential that he has to be an elite offensive lineman? And for me, I think he can because of Mario Cristobal. He's an offensive line coach at heart, guys. Why, there's no mistaking why Oregon's going to have one of the best offensive lines in the country this year, and it's because of Christian Ball. And I think Miller and Walden are going to be the next two great offensive linemen to come through Eugene, Oregon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and you mentioned that him playing guard in high school or continuing to play guard um, is a good thing because he can move in it's also probably a good sign that he can move very well because typically guards are, are a little bit faster than tackles. Uh, they, they're a little bit shiftier. Um, so yeah, he's going to be, he's going to be a very, uh, he's going to bring a lot of talent to this, to this tackle position. At Oregon. Yeah. So who is your underrated recruit that you thought I was going to steal? I thought you were going to steal Janarius Perkins. We already talked about him. Yeah. This kid's incredible. Uh, he, he, he's, he's a, he's a Hattiesburg, Mississippi native shout out, uh, word to Hattiesburg, but, um, this kid's incredible. Uh, if you haven't seen his tape, go watch it. Very, I mean, he's a very quick player. He's very, you can tell he knows what he's doing on the football field. Um, he has, he has all the intelligence in the world, especially when it comes to the football field. Um, I, I mean, he, he's coming off of offers to Oregon, uh, Florida, Memphis. I mean, he had so many offers coming out of uh, Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College, and he chose Oregon. Um, I, I honestly think this kid um, is going to bring a lot to this program. It's it's going to be very interesting to watch him play over the next uh, few seasons with Oregon. Yeah, and people overlook J- junior college players so much because they're like, well, if they were so good, they would have made it work the first time. A lot of these junior college kids just needed an extra year or two to grow up, grow into their bodies, find their drive and potential, and just be a better player. So these junior college players can really turn out to be something special. So don't sleep on a player just because they're coming out of JC. Especially don't sleep on this player coming out of JC. He's coming off of a junior college team that just won the national championship. So yes. it, it it's he's no he's it's not like he's a scrub out here. Just I, I don't know. Not not that junior college players are scrubs usually they're not, but I mean this guy this kid is a I mean he seeks the ball out and just if if, if there's a receiver in the area he's knocking the ball. He's not even going to be catchable. He just won't be. He'll be on the ground before you know it. Yeah, and for junior college players to come in and play immediately is huge. And to pair him with the five-star they just got last year at cornerback and then Noah Sewell and Justin Flo at linebacker plus Kayvon Thibodeau at defensive end, this defense is going to be elite at all levels, man. They're going to be scary, scary good. Absolutely. You're, you're 100% but, right. 
but guys, that is it for our show. Before we wrap the show up, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give the I'm gonna give the floor to Brandon real quick to make a big statement. So Brandon, take it away, man. Yeah, guys. Um, so thanks for listening to this episode. Um, obviously follow all the socials. Zach reads them all the time. I didn't write them down, but you you know them. Um, hopefully we're gonna get back to you with another episode. We'll get back to you with another episode for sure later this week. Um, we've got more audibles coming up. Zach can probably say more about that. Zach, do you know when we're doing another one? Yeah, guys. Um, it the next audible episode will be coming next Wednesday. Um, announcements will be coming on social media very soon. We were gonna do it this week. A lot has kind of went on this week, so next Wednesday the audible will return, and we got other big stuff in the works like interviews, special guests, all that. We will keep you guys updated on social media. You know the deal there. Right. Okay. And, and so uh, that's gonna end our episode, guys. I wanted to give uh, a little bit more time. Um, for us to reflect about what's going on in this country. What's I understand we're a sports podcast, but I think it's important to use whatever platform you have at this point in time to, uh, uh, to truly recognize, you know, the things going on in our world today. You know, there, there is injustice. And I think that we need to uh, take it face on. We need to understand what's going on. We need to take time to be more educated about everything um, in our society, especially at this point in time. I think it is vitally important. And so we started the episode out with a moment of silence. and We'd like to end it with a moment of silence. So if you'll join us uh, in one more moment of silence to reflect on all everything going on in our country right now, uh, we'll start now. And that's a wrap.